Are you guys excited this morning? I am fired up, juiced, pumped, and ready. Are you ready? Are you strapped in? I have never, and I'm, I know I use hyperbole a lot, but I mean it, I mean it, I have never been this excited to preach or teach in my whole life. The, what the Lord has burning in me has been burning for a while and then started burning freshly the last couple days. So I am just so excited. So how about this, though, just to kind of get ourselves loosened up. I want you to look to your neighbor, say hi, and say, Jesus looks so beautiful in you. Say it again. Jesus looks so beautiful in you. And now I want you to say, you wear Jesus well. You Say it again. You wear Jesus well. Amen. Paul says we are clothed with Christ. He also says the mystery is Christ in you. So both of what everything we just said is truth, right? Amen. Okay, risk-taking time. Uh, here at Valley Church, we encourage uh, not only our VSSM students, but all everyone to cross the chicken line. So I'm going to cross the chicken line here and take a risk. Christian. Would you stand? Okay, we've met twice. Okay, I believe God has you here today by a specific assignment. And I believe you've been maybe asking questions of vision, where I'm headed, who am I, what am I to do, maybe in the secret place. And I just speak this morning that he's going to speak to you. He's going to give you vision for your life, vision of who he is and vision of who you are in him. And I declare that you carry a light, even in the dark times of your life, when you've, things were really, really dark. I just declare that there's a light in you, Christian, that has shined and that won't let go of you. That will keep shining, keep bringing you back to, to Jesus, no matter how hard you've tried to give way to darkness. And I, yes, amen. And then do you know what your name means? Christ-like, yes. And I just affirm that over you, that that's by destiny, that you are Christ-like. You are a bearer of Christ is another meaning of Christian. And I just say, you carry Christ, whether you feel it, whether you're thinking of him, whether you're at church or not, he is in you and you bear him well. I just speak that over you. Okay. And no, this is not a word of knowledge, but James and James, would you guys stand there in the back? Yeah. So I just met James the third, is that right? Last week. And then James the second today. This is his first time. So I just declare, I just believe maybe in your heart that you're looking for something new, something fresh. I don't know how long you guys have known Jesus or been exposed to church or the Bible or the gospel, but I just believe you guys are looking for something fresh and new. And I believe he is doing that right now in both of your lives, that there's fresh wind, there's fresh fire, there's fresh life. And Jesus is going to be new to you like he's never been before. I just declare that. And I believe this house is part of that, but it's not because of the leaders or necessarily the people. It's his presence and the Holy Spirit blowing fresh wind through this people in this atmosphere over both of you. So I just declare new, new, new over both of you in Jesus' name. Yeah. Woo. 
Yeah. Anyone else, Jesus? Who's in your radar? In your, your love scope. I'll call it a love scope here. Um, yeah, okay, I think that's it for now, maybe more uh, later. Um, if you believe God has a word through me, come to the altar later. I'm excited to pray for people. I know that's a little bit off, but I'm super excited. So I'm just going to trust Holy Spirit to help me right now. Um, and I just want to speak this. I want to speak vision I'm hearing this morning. These are just the fresh things since I've been here. I just declare um, vision over everyone. I declare newness. I declare eyes have been opening this morning, or they will, while you hear the word of the Lord this morning. Who's here who wants new eyes, fresh eyes? Yeah? Yeah, there's a hunger for that. Thank you, Jesus, for that hunger, and I thank you that you don't leave us in our hunger and in our thirst. But according to John 6, 35, you say we will never thirst, never hunger. I thank you like your father. You're a good father. So he's a good father. Can you say he's a good father this morning? Yeah. He's a good shepherd. Say that. He's a good shepherd. Does not leave me in want, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. So if you have want this morning, I just think, I'm just thankful to the Lord that he's going to begin meeting those desires and those needs this morning that you have. Okay, um, I haven't shared uh, this part of my testimony for a while, and I know there's some fresh people who haven't heard it. If you've heard it before, uh, may it encourage you in a new way, but... Um, how many know you have a testimony? How many know that you overcome by your testimony in the blood of the Lamb? It's important for us to declare what God has done in our life, not just for our sake, but for the sake of others. So I just want to release this, this part of my testimony. Um, it was two, March of 2011. Um, I was a graduate of Multnomah Bible College. That's where I met my wife. We had been married... Um, Oh, let's see. I got to do the math. Seven years at this time. And um, after I graduated from Multnomah Bible College in Portland, I became a fundraiser. It was my first career. I got to fundraise for my alma mater, which was a lot of fun. Um, and we were getting ready for our annual uh, student aid banquet. That's when we invite alumni and donors, and there'd be, you know, 30 tables. And my busiest time of the year, I would, I would prep nine, ten months in advance. And a um, little backstory is... I had been exposed to a little devotional called Jesus Calling. Anyone read Jesus Calling? Anyone read Jesus Calling every morning? Okay. The Lord used that, and I began to hear God's voice clearer than I had ever heard in my whole life. God used Jesus Calling. And um, so I'm hearing the voice of God. He's becoming more familiar. I'm starting to see little signs like, wow, he said that this morning, and then that would happen. And he's just becoming more real to me. Amen. Don't you love those times where he just gets so real and you're like, my prayer time is just bleeding out and I'm seeing it happen as I go to work or whatever I'm doing. So um, it was a Thursday, March 10th, 2011, and we have a school cafeteria. School was in session. We have, you know, a thousand students. So the cafeteria would have anywhere from three to 400 people. And I have this banquet Saturday night. So I'm like, I'm going to be in and out in 15 minutes. And I had resolved, I'm going to be in and out. I got to keep it quick. So I walk in and there was a student, um, bodybuilder kind of guy. He said, uh, hey, good to see you. And I could tell he really wanted to talk. I said, hey, I can do lunch, but let's make it quick. Why don't you find a table and I'll come find you. 
So I get my lunch, I come over to the table, and as I'm walking up uh, with, to the student, we're going to have a quick lunch, I told him it's going to be quick, there was this guy I'd never seen before wearing a Red Sox jersey, six foot six, come to find out later, 325 pounds, former Hawaii State football player. And I just kind of was like highlighted to me, I'm like, who in the world is that? So I sit down at the table with this uh, student, and the whole time we're talking, I can tell that this guy's listening. He's got this intense, loving look to him. You ever, you ever meet someone like that? Guy just highlights and you're just drawn. You're like, what's different about that person? So we're sitting at the table, and I remember the student and I started talking about, he was an older student, he's in his 20s, and I was clear into my 20s at this point, and talking about our father relationships, and just how there's still some hurts there, and we're thankful for our dads. We weren't bad-mouthing our dads, but we still felt maybe things were missing in our 20s, and there was some hurt there. And we're just, like, talking over this. And then all of a sudden, his name is Chris, the guy with the Red Sox jersey. He looks over at me, and he says, God wants to be your father. And he said, he loves you so much. And he began to declare over me who Father God was for me, not just generally, not as a concept, not as a theological paper I could write, but who the Father was for me and how much Father loved me. Well, he talked for a few minutes, and this other student had to run, and I was about to stand up and talk with him. He's like, no, 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 you stay here. This is amazing what's happening right now. Like, he could sense something was happening in the Spirit, so he leaves, and Chris shares with me a few more things, and then we stand. And you know, you ever know like something's coming? Like you're like, okay, as we're about to stand, I know something's going to happen. I knew he was going to hug me, and I just met this guy. And we both stand, and he had been sharing the love of the Father, and he just pulls me into his chest. And he's six foot six, I'm five foot eight. So my head went right into this man's chest. We're pretty visible to the whole Multnomah cafeteria. Everyone knows me, students, professors, all that. He pulls me into his chest, and he shares, he loves you just as much as Jesus. He's proud of you. You're the apple of his eye. You're a chip off the old block. And he began to share with me. And I felt something go off inside me. I felt a love that I had never felt before. I felt validated like I had never felt validated. I felt appreciated. And in this man, Chris, this Christ-bearer, as I'm looking into his eyes, I was seeing the eyes of Jesus, and I was seeing the eyes of the Father. And I melted in his arms. And it marked me. It was one of those marking moments. He ended up walking back with me to my office, and... Uh, I was like, you know, I'm going through a lot now with hurts and all that, and I come to find out he was in the counseling program, and I was reaching for my, or no, I was going to tell him, hey, maybe we could meet. He's a counselor, fresh here, just starting studies, wants to be a counselor, and he just, even before I could finish it, just smiled, nodded, and took my business card. He's about to leave, and then he turns around right at the threshold. He literally filled the whole threshold of my Multnomah door, six foot six. 320 pounds. Tessa can vouch. He's a, we call him Big Chris. 
massive guy. He looks at me and he goes, you're going to start loving yourself like you've never loved yourself before. You're going to start loving your wife like you've never loved her before. You're going to love your kids like you've never loved them before. And you're going to ask them to forgive you for the ways that you've hurt them. And it was like a shotgun just hit me. And Chris ended up leaving and I ended up just having this amazing weekend um, where the Lord just ministered to my heart and I've, I'll never be the same ever since. I was different. And then just in the weeks and months to come, there was a new love. There was new affections. There was new identity. There was a new outlook. It was like I was born again again. I was born again again. Anyone, have, anyone else have that experience where you're like, I know I was born again, but I got born again again. <laughs> you want to add a couple agains to it because it was that much better, right? And I was transformed. And something had gone off that I knew would be irreversible. And I had seen Jesus and seen myself in a way there was no going back. I want to share about a biblical character. This, this character has just been on my heart uh, today who I think a lot of times we don't talk about. I don't know if I haven't, haven't heard necessarily a lot of different people preach on him, but um, James, the half-brother of Jesus, how many know that Jesus had siblings? Yeah. How many know that none of his, the scripture says none of his siblings believed in him? I don't know. Um, Linda, do you have John, I think it's 7, 5, talking about Jesus, his brothers, um, for even his, yeah, his brothers therefore said to him, depart from here and go into Judea that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. And in the next verse, for no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. His siblings are saying, show yourself, like make it open, make it visible. For even his brothers did not believe in him. So Jesus' brothers, his own siblings, isn't that crazy to have the son of God in your house and yet it becomes so familiar that you don't believe in him? I mean, think about that. The creator of the universe, the son of God, the unique son of God is in, your, is in the room next door and you don't, you don't believe, right? But I think you and I, if we're being honest, are, are similar, right? We were exposed to Jesus maybe for a long time and he was just familiar. It was just a cross. It was just a, a Christian thing. But there came a point where he, Jesus was no longer familiar. He wasn't just my brother, he was my Lord. He was my Savior, right? So um, church historians, and you can read Acts 15. You don't have to pull that up. But clearly, James had an encounter with Jesus and with the Father because he ended up becoming the lead elder in all of Jerusalem after the resurrection and in the early church. So the half-brother of Jesus, who didn't believe in him during his earthly ministry, later on uh, became key for the, the early church, especially in, like I said, Jerusalem. Um, so I wanted to just kind of share that backstory because I, I, a lot of times we, uh, I, I didn't know that until I, I heard someone speak on it and I go, oh my goodness, that's incredible. So now I want to go to James in light of what I just shared, in light of the fact um, that James didn't believe and then clearly there was a point where things changed for him. So if we could um, open up the Passion, who here loves the Passion version? Can I get an amen? 
If you're looking for a fresh translation, I love the New King James Version. That's my like staple Bible because it's really close to the Greek and very accurate to the Greek. But the passion just has fresh passion, fresh revelation on it of who Jesus is and who you are as well. So I just want to go to um, James chapter 1. James chapter 1. This is James's only letter. Um, these are the only words we have from him. There's just five chapters, the half-brother of Jesus. And we're going to start with verse 17 in the Passion. Every gift God freely gives us is good and perfect. Amen to that, right? Streaming down from the Father of lights, who shines from the heavens with no hidden shadow or darkness and is never subject to change. God was delighted to give us birth by the truth of his unfallible word so that we would fulfill his chosen destiny for us and become the favorite ones out of all of his creation. I got to read that verse again. The half-brother of Jesus didn't believe in Jesus. Jesus was just familiar to him, too familiar to him, is now writing these words by the Holy Spirit. God was delighted to give us birth. Some translations say the word of truth. By the truth of his infallible word or the word of truth so that we would fulfill his chosen destiny for us and become the favorite ones out of all of his creation. You see, the word of truth, the word truth means the unveiling. This is the word of truth. This is the unveiling. Jesus is the truth. He's the unveiling of who God really is like. Jesus is the truth. He's God on display. He's God as he really is. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So there came a point where James' familiar half-brother Jesus went from just being a familiar brother, maybe my special brother, (laughs) to the word of truth, the unveiling of God in flesh. And then James went from just having Jesus as a biological brother to being brothers in the spirit, Jesus being the firstborn, to the point that James is now saying, I've been called to fulfill his chosen destiny and become a favorite one out of all of creation. Amen? Amen. Let's keep reading here. My dearest brothers and sisters, take this to heart. Now keep in mind, this isn't separated thoughts. So when he's talking about listening and the word, he's talking about this word by which we're born from above, by which we're born anew. My dearest brothers and sisters, take this to heart. Be quick to listen, but slow to speak and slow to become angry. For human anger is never a legitimate tool to promote God's righteous purpose. Amen to that. I don't know if that's calling anyone else out. This is why we abandon everything morally impure and all forms of wicked uh, conduct. Instead, with the sensitive spirit, we absorb God's word. Don't think Bible verses. The word of truth, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the unveiling of who Jesus is, but who you are in him. Can I get an amen to that? So 
He's saying instead, with a sensitive, tender, I think other translations says like a humble, gentle heart, we absorb God's word, which has been implanted within our nature, for the word of life has power to continually deliver us. Sozo us. You know, sozo ministry? That word is here. Deliver. This word that's been implanted in you, the word of Jesus, the word of truth, has power to continually save you. But like that soil, are we gentle to receive that? Are we gentle and humble to receive that seed? Because Jesus doesn't force his way on us, right? Okay, let's keep going here. So again, keep in mind the word of truth. And I love how um, the author, inspired by the, the Spirit here, let's go on to verse 22, refers to it as the word of truth at this point because that was introduced earlier. So now through this whole passage, again, this is the passage where it says, don't just be hearers, be doers, right? And so often we go, okay, I got to read the Old Testament, I got to read the New Testament and just do it. But he's talking identity language here, right? Don't just listen to the word of truth and not respond to it for that is the essence of self-deception, So always let his word become like poetry written and fulfilled by your life. The word do is poema in the Greek, where we get poem. So this is a very good translation here. He's saying, don't just listen to the word of truth and not respond to it, for that is the essence of self-deception. We can all be guilty of that. So always let his word become like poetry written and fulfilled by your life. Okay. Verse 23, if you listen to the word and don't live out the message you hear, you become like a person who looks in the mirror of the word to discover the reflection of his face in the beginning. Catch this, catch this. God, I just pray for revelation right now. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd help reveal your truth, which I cannot with just human language. So I thank you by the Spirit right now. I just pray that in Jesus' name. So let's read this again. Become like the person who looks in the mirror of the word to discover the reflection of his face in the beginning. Who you really are from the beginning. How God has always known you. Before you ever sinned, when you were knitted together in your mother's womb, God had a knowledge of you that sin could not corrupt. (laughs) Coming to Jesus is not just a new creation thing, although it is a new creation thing. It's coming back to our origin. That's why born again, I believe, is improperly translated born again. Look up any Greek concordance. Guess what the first translation is? Above. Born from above where you were originally birthed. Because before time, Christian, he had a destiny over your life. Before you were in your mother's womb, he saw you in his son Jesus as holy and blameless and perfect in his sight with purpose and destiny and fruit and abundance. Sin could not taint that original perception of you because we're talking God's faith not our unbelief. Your genesis precedes your birth and precedes every sin you ever committed or will commit. Isn't that good news? 
you have a beginning that can't, in God's eyes, I'm talking his eyes. I'm talking his faith. We're talking what God believes here. I'm not trying to downplay the sin that you've experienced, that you've committed and been committed to you, but I'm talking what God believes and what is now revealed to us to the gospel. And that James, living in the house of Jesus for years, didn't see. But when the spirit hit him, he goes, this isn't just my half-brother. I see who I am in his eyes. When I look at him, I'm so drawn because I go, you're amazing, you're beautiful. Holy Spirit lit something in the half-brother of James and he goes, and I see who I am in your eyes. My original's coming out around you, My default original settings. Amen? You see, James, it's unquote. Here, let, let, me, let me keep reading here. No, verse 24, you perceive how God sees you in the mirror of his word. If we could get James 1, 24. James 1, 24 in the Passion. You catch this. This is massive. James 1, 24. Oh, it's right here. I apologize. It's right behind me. I'm, I shouldn't look at that monitor. Here we go. You perceive how God sees you in the mirror of the word. We're not talking just Bible scriptures because you can read this like I did till you're blue in the face and you have no clue who you are. And I'm not trying to downplay scripture. I love the scripture. I read the scripture practically every day. I devour the word. But I devour the word because this word is, is a mirror. There's no substance in a mirror. The value in the word is what it reflects and that's Jesus. Okay? I devour the word. If you... You perceive how God sees you in the mirror of the word, but then you go out and forget your divine origin. Can't we become forgetful? Even many of us here, I know most or a lot of this room, you know your identity. You know how Jesus sees you. But we get forgetful, right? But we're not going to be those who forget this morning. I just speak that. We're going to be those that keep looking in the mirror. Verse 25, but those who set their gaze deeply into the perfect law of liberty are fascinated by and respond to truth they hear and are strengthened by it. They experience God's blessing in all that they do. Amen? Amen. Let's... Uh, Let's show, I want to show, a, uh, I, yes, I'm doing this. I want to show a Disney clip. Is that okay? A few minutes. Not everything from Disney I like, but this is my, probably my favorite Disney moment of all time. Who likes the Lion King? Who believes there's some gospel themes in the Lion King? I'm not saying everything's gospel, okay? But there's pointers there. And this scene, maybe it'll touch you like it touched me. Quick backstory, because you probably haven't watched it in a while, unless you have little kids, then you've seen it recently, like myself. Mufasa is the father king lion in Africa. So, as you know, the lion is the king, right? And his son, Simba, is to take the throne, but Mufasa dies, and Simba's brother comes against him to usurp the throne. And Simba is, Simba is discouraged at this point, because his father's dead, that's all the backstory you need. Go for it. My father? Correction. I know your father. I hate to tell you this, 
But he died a long time ago. Nope, wrong again. <laughs> He's alive, and I'll show him to you. You follow old Rafiki, he knows the way. Come on. That's not my father. It's just my reflection. No. Look hard. You see, he lives in you. How can I go back? I'm not who I used to be. Remember who you are. You are my son and the one true king. Remember who you are. No, please, don't leave me. Father. like the winds are changing. Ah, change is good. Yeah, but it's not easy. I know what I have to do, but going back means I'll have to face my past. I've been running from it for so long. Ow! Jeez, what was that for? It doesn't matter. It's in the past. <laughs> yeah, but it still hurts. Oh, yes, the past can hurt. But the way I see it, you can either run from it or learn from it. You see? So what are you going to do? First, I'm gonna take your stick. No, 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 no! Not your stick! Hey! Where are you going? I'm going back! Good! Go on! Get out of here! <laughs> yeah, we can clap to that. Oh, doesn't that hit you deep? Like me in that cafeteria, I had to look in the mirror 
and God put a mirror right up to me, and I saw him in a way I'd never seen him before, but in the mirror, I saw who I was for the first time. Like James, the half-brother of Jesus, who, you know, was with Jesus growing up, there came a moment when he had to look in the mirror, when the Holy Spirit ignited who Jesus was. And this is just, you know, if you're like remembering kind of key points, I, I, I tried to distill this as simple as possible. In the mirror of Christ, the glorious true you is revealed. Let me say that again. In the mirror of Christ, the glorious true you is revealed. And only in the mirror of Christ is the true you revealed. Amen? So I want to, so within literally 24 hours after Chris embraced me, he um, sent me some of the earliest manuscripts of another translation called the Mirror. Has anyone ever heard of the Mirror Bible? Okay. So the Mirror Bible takes this mirror theme. There are actually three passages in the New Testament on the mirror. One in James, one in 2 Corinthians. We're going to get into that here in a little bit. And um, uh, 1 Corinthians, the love chapter, has a mirror in it, okay? So this is kind of a paraphrase. I wouldn't call it a literal translation. So there's taking some license. I would call it revelatory license <laughs> to interpret. But let's read James 1, 22 in the mirror. Give in the mirror word, your un- give the mirror word your undivided attention. Do not underestimate yourself. Make the calculation. There can only be one logical conclusion. Your authentic origin is mirrored in the word. You are God's poem. Let his voice make poetry of your life. Verse 23, anyone who hears the word sees the face of their birth as in a mirror. The difference between a mere spectator and a participator is that both of them hear the same voice and perceive in its message the face of their own genesis reflected there. They realize that they are looking at themselves. But for the one, it just seems too good to be true. This person departs, in parentheses, back to the old way of seeing themselves, and immediately forgets what manner of person they are, never giving another thought to the one they saw there in the mirror. And in verse 25, the other is mesmerized by what they see, captivated by the effect of a law that frees them from the obligation to the old written code and restricted them to their own efforts and willpower. No distraction or contradiction can dim the impact of what is seen in the mirror concerning the law of perfect liberty, the law of faith, that now frees one to get on with the act of living the life of their original design. They find a new spontaneous lifestyle, the poetry of practical living. Oh, yes, we can clap to that. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. We are different than Simba. Because notice that that scene ended and then Simba goes on like it was a a once-in-a-lifetime mirage, right? Or vision. We have it better than Simba because Christ is in you and doesn't leave you. So the mirror 
of Jesus that we get to behold his beauty. This morning we were saying we're transformed by one thing, to see your beauty. There's one thing that transforms us. But why is it so transformative? Because as we are worshiping Jesus and his glory and we're feeling his presence and we're beginning to, our eyes of our, our heart are opened, guess what we see looking back at us? Jesus shows us who we are. Amen? Amen. So I just want to encourage you in this. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. The mirror of who you were created to be is in him. And as we worship him, as we fix our gaze on Jesus, the scripture says in Hebrews, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. A transformation begins to happen. The glorious true you is revealed. I want us to go to 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18. In the, in the, in the uh, let's do the... Passion. Let's do the passion. How about the passion here? Okay, 2 Corinthians 3. So mirror number one is James 1. Mirror number two is 2 Corinthians 3, 18. But we're going to read 16 through 18. Okay. You ready for some good news? But the moment one turns to the Lord with an open heart, the veil is lifted and they see. Now the Lord I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit, and wherever he is, Lord, there is freedom. We can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces, and with no veil we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Can I get an amen to that? You know, we are transformed by this one thing. I believe that song, this scripture had to have been in mind when whoever wrote that was inspired. In the mirror of Christ, the glorious true you is revealed. And I want to read it again. Is it helpful to hear different translations? Is that helpful for people to hear them fresh in different ways? I don't know, like you, I grew up knowing some of these since I was little, so I love to hear it afresh, okay? Let's look in the Mirror Bible, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. In the Mirror Bible, I think I sent that to you, Linda. Okay, here we go. The Lord and the Spirit are one. His Lordship sanctions our freedom, a freedom from rules chiseled in stone. And again, this is drawing on the context of the whole chapter of rules chiseled in stone to the voice of our redeemed design echoing in our hearts. And then verse 18. Now we all with new understanding see ourselves in him as in a mirror. The days of window shopping are over. Isn't that a good word? Who here is window shopped, right? I think we all have. The days of window shopping are over. In him, every face is unveiled. In gazing with wonder at the blueprint of God displayed in human form, we suddenly realize that we are looking into a mirror. 
where every feature of his image articulated in Christ is reflected within us. The Spirit of the Lord engineers this radical transformation. We are led from an inferior mindset to the revealed endorsement of our authentic identity. Oh, oh, it's so good. So, I just want to clarify here. You're like, man, I've read those verses, Matthew. I don't see that here. I just, I don't want to go on a huge Greek study, but I want to just one word. One of my favorite words in the whole Bible is glory. Who here is thankful for the glory of God? The glory of Jesus Christ. Okay, Old Testament kabod. What does it mean? Kabod, anyone? Glory in the Old Testament. Heavy, weighty, right? When we say kabod. In the New Testament, it's doxa. Doxa. So what does doxa mean? Linda, if you could pull this up. This is straight out of Strong's. It means opinion. Hence, praise, honor, glory. Let's read down here. Um, Doxa at the bottom. Exercising personal opinion, which determines value. This corresponds to the Old Testament word kabo or uh, kabod, to be heavy. Both terms convey God's infinite, intrinsic worth. So at its base form, when we hear glory in the New Testament, it means an opinion. Why do we have a positive opinion or a very high opinion that evokes praise? Because we've made a determination that thing has value, that Jesus has value. He is so beautiful in who he is. He's such a good savior. We say glory in you, right? Here's the amazing thing is that we behold the glory of the Lord as in a mirror. So in our worship of Jesus, in our love for Jesus, glory reflects back on us. And he says, you're my son with whom I'm well pleased. I value you. I adore you. I treasure you. You're one who I glorify. Now, not in the sense of worship. We're not God. We are sons of God, daughters of God. He is only God. But I just want to encourage you today if no one's ever told you, you are valuable in God's sight. He, the cross wasn't just because he pitied you, although yes, he had deep compassion for you. The cross because, is because he valued the treasure of who you are and his likeness in you. He wasn't pity-driven, he was value-driven for you. He was value-driven for you. Another way of saying it is, you're worth it. I just believe Jesus is saying that today. He's looking at you and he says, my son or daughter, you're worth it. You're worth it. You were worth the price. You were worth the cost. Okay. Where do we go next? Okay, I'll just say this. Metamorphosis can sometimes be a painful process. Can I get an amen? So I want to speak to the other reality. I know I'm, and this is still good news. It's good news, but I I think we need to face, I I just want to share some of the reality of that, right? I I don't know about you, but there's times where my transfiguration process, it's a little painful because we still have a lot of old mindsets, old habits, things we've attached ourselves to that need to get ripped out. Can I get an amen to that? And there might be some of you going through that right now. You're like, man, I've, I've, maybe you did VSSM this year, or you're coming to Valley for a couple months or even a couple years, and you're like, I've come into who, who I am. I know who I am in Christ now. 
And now all of a sudden, all this bad stuff starting to happen. And we're like, it's a devil, it's a devil, it's a devil. Does the devil come to kill, steal, and destroy? Yes, he does. But not all the trials in our life, not everything in our life is an attack from the enemy. Okay, and I think some people need to hear that because I feel like there's been people who've been batting the enemy and the father's like, this is actually me, but I'll walk you through it because I want you to look like my son. I'm conforming you to the image of my son. So I'm going to say that again. I, I believe this specifically. There might be a few people, maybe more. I'm just going to say this boldly. You've been swatting like, devil, get back. My finance, you're attacking this, you're attacking that, you're attacking that. And yet the, the Lord's going, it's actually me. I'm working through all this. I'm conforming you to my image. I want you to walk in your calling. I want you to shine forth in who I've created you to be. Don't swat me, please. I really want to change you. <laughs> get it, get back. Devil, get behind me. And I'm, there is a place for that. But there's another dynamic to this mirror. And if you could pull up point two here. This is point. So point number one, in the mirror of Christ, the glorious true you is revealed. Here's point number two. When you gaze intently into this glorious mirror, the Spirit relentlessly transforms you into your true and free self, displaying the authentic you and removing the false you. Yeah? Woo! New Testament talks about a new self and an old self. The painful process is God loves you so much. He paid a high price that he wants what he paid for to come forth. He wants a, a bride that's ready. So quick testimony here. I had this kind of mirror moment with Chris, and I knew my identity for the first time. And then within that next year, I had a glorious season of, you know, I call it my baptism season where Jesus knew this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. I walked for many months after that like, I know he's well pleased with me. I'm his son. I felt like Joseph with a robe of many colors. And I'm like, everywhere I went, I felt love for people. And it was just this honeymoon, amazing season. But then September, I think it was that year of the next year, I was on Multnomah's campus. There were six spirit-filled believers who saw that the baptism of the Spirit was beginning to break out a little bit on Multnomah's campus. And as a campus, we did not believe in the baptism of the Spirit. And a few students, some of the freshmen, they started to pray in tongues and experience that. So these six leaders came to Multnomah's campus and were praying for revival on campus. And I'm like, yes, yes. And they knew what would happen. They knew what had happened in my life and they knew I had influence on campus. So they started praying for me. And all of a sudden they pray for me. And this, one of my good friends uh, to this day, Josh steps back and he goes, I just got a vision from the Lord for you. And he said, I saw a Lego set. Who here has Legos? Their kids have Legos, right? I loved Legos as a kid. So it meant a lot to me. I love Legos. And he said, I saw your life, your whole life, like Legos being torn apart brick by brick. One brick, one brick, one brick, another brick, another brick, till there were no bricks left. And then it was rebuilt again by the Lord. And then he saw me being uprooted and then replanted as a garden fresh garden of the Lord surrounded by oak trees. So, Tess and I at this point, we had been six years in an intentional Christian community where we had made a covenant 
we had moved in with other believers like Acts 2, Acts 4, and we were like, this is the church. We are disciples of Jesus. We're all in, and we're never going to leave this place unless the Lord makes it clear through everyone in the whole congregation. We had committed. We had thrown our stake in. Well, within, uh, you know, a few weeks after that prophecy, everything came to a head in the church, and some of Tessa and I's brokenness was exposed, and Tessa had multiple prophetic dreams, like, we need to get out. And this church that we thought we'd be in for life, just basically it came to a head. I met with the leadership, and it's a miracle. Based on the resolutions and the covenants I made, that when Tessa and I make those covenants, those big things, it's like our marriage, it's like we may fight, but we made a covenant. We're going to stick with it. That's just how we're wired. It's like when you commit to something like that, you're in no matter what, and you'll grit your teeth. So it was a miracle. God ripped that out. And then Tess and I moved into an apartment in the scary place in Northeast Portland. I mean, there's very scary place with Parker and Riley. They were really little. And we said, okay, we don't have our community, but we're experiencing our identity. We're experiencing the glory of the gospel. We never felt so free in our life. And we had just had this church uprooted that we called family. We, we, to this day, I honor them and I love them, but God needed to uproot things and take that brick out of our life. But we said, hey, I st- we still have a good job at Multnomah. You, you're, you're doing well, Matthew. This is good. We have this. And I remember being in my office one day, and uh, my new boss said, if you ever feel out of sorts, fundraising for a Christian university's warfare. Fundraising for a Christian university's warfare. So if you need to just close the door and not call a donor and worship for 15 minutes, you do it. So that morning, I don't know what it was. I was just feeling out of sorts, and I'm like, I feel like I need to worship. And I just started worshiping in my office, and it was all about the glory of God. Who is this king of glory by third day? It's a beautiful song, who pursues me with his love. And I'm weeping, just seeing Jesus, seeing who I am in him and worshiping, and I got a tap on the door. And one of the main deans of the school said, Matthew Forsyth, come with me. <laughs> Walks me all the way down the hall, back to the main human resources office, the short of it is an investigation was opened on my character and things that were said and all that. And they said, you can't be on campus while we look into this. A month later, they called me in, and I hadn't been on campus for a month. I still was getting paid, still at my job. And they said, we're still investigating. It's going to be another month. So for two months, they were investigating me. In the end, the accusations that were made um, wasn't the deal breaker but for other reasons, um, they decided that we need to fire you. And I'll never forget being walked off campus, and I said, when can I come back? And it was like probably a couple years. And it was the hardest, one of the hardest moments in my life to be walked off where I had blood, sweat, and tears and all that. But even in that, I had the love of God and the peace of God because I knew even in my sorrow and losing a school that I loved and that I couldn't go back to a couple years, being embarrassed, having an investigation opened, that God was tearing away the bricks that had been built in on a false self, on a prideful self under my idealism, my aspirations, things that were attached to my lusts and my visions of who I was going to be. Just a little bit later, we thought, okay, we don't have a job. 
We don't have a church community, and we were attending places, but our family had been ripped away. Multnomah had been ripped away, our source of income, and I was looking for jobs. Then our car broke down. Then our bike trailer, we said, Tessa's like, that's okay, we still got a bike trailer. Parker and Riley were hit off of I-205, and thankfully God, what do you say? You were gently hit. That sounds really dramatic. Parker is not, at the time, wasn't super coordinated and jumped off the bike trailer. And the tagalon, so you ride a bike and you put your two kids in the back, it's really popular in Portland, was knocked over and destroyed. God protected Riley and Parker supernaturally. So now we don't have a bike trailer. Car's gone, bike trailer's gone. Eventually, I couldn't make ends meet. I was trying to start a financial service business. Let me, let me speed up the story here. We, our last two months in, Port, uh, in Portland, we had to sell a bunch of stuff, a guitar and other things just to pay rent on Craigslist. And finally, Tessa's like, I think we need to move in with my parents in Idaho. And sure enough, uh, that's what ended up happening. And I remember it was just like, okay, literally, God, like this prophecy I was given, and then within weeks, it was like the Holy Spirit again. But this whole time, I was looking in the mirror. I was saying, Jesus, I love you. I was spending time in his presence, and he continued, like, like Simba in the story, in, in the secret place, in, in the apartment. Tess and I says it's one of the best years of our life. We worshiped that whole year. We had so many times as a family. Life was simple. This whole time I kept in the mirror. And it's like, but I'm worshiping Jesus. I'm in his presence. Why is life getting worse? It's not because the enemy was coming against me. Now, I'm not saying there wasn't warfare. We experienced a lot of warfare. What I'm saying was, as I kept looking in this mirror, Jesus kept looking back and saying, okay, all the blemishes, the false self, the pride, the ways that you've built an identity, I'm going to tear out of your life so that what comes forth is all of me and not of you. Amen? 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 Let's go back to point number two one more time. When, we, when you gaze intently into this glorious mirror of Jesus, the Spirit relentlessly transforms you into your true and free self, displaying the authentic you and removing the false you. Amen. And I'll just say this, the seven or eight years we've been here in Idaho, we met, we came, we found Valley as a church within the first couple months. Remember Pastor Lynn says, hey, our vision, the vision the Lord's given me is that we're to equip and empower you for you to fulfill your purpose in Christ, aka in the mirror of Jesus Christ. You're going to find your identity. And I go, this, Tessa was like, this is the right place. We felt God's love, God's presence. He gave us back church family. Soon I found a job, then I got a job at Verizon. God gave us back all that was lost in career. We had a time to rebuild as a family because Parker and Riley were born in a community. There was some good, but there was some bad to that. So we got to just be a family again. And he, it says, if you keep looking in the mirror, what happens? You'll be blessed in all that you do. And these seven, eight years have just been blessing to blessing to blessing. And God has wanted to rebuild my life, my wife's life, and our family's life upon who we are in him. Not one trace of that old man. 
And that's what he's relentlessly doing in your life. So I just want to encourage you. Some of you are like, man, I, I'm, I'm having some of the best times of my life. I'm looking in the mirror. I'm worshiping Jesus. I'm waking up early and the finance is happening and this is happening and this is happening. I'm not going to say all your trials are because of this, but some of it, maybe consider this morning, is it's not the devil always coming against me. It's Jesus is pulling things that you've attached to, relationships you've attached to that aren't his best for you. Amen? God has the best for you, not just okay. He doesn't have okay. Can I say that again? He doesn't have okay for you. He has the best life where he's going to display his glory through it. And it may be where you don't think, in the job you don't think, with the relationships you don't think, but in the end, you're going to see he knew what was best. He was right. You guys want to stand right now? Do we have time? I'm not going to sing it. I'm not going to play it. Do we have time for a quick song? It's my favorite song right now that I think would be just fitting. Does that sound good? Okay. This is Godfrey Bertle. It was just released two months ago. And I think it's a perfect benediction to this time. So, Linda, if you could play this. This is a song that I, you can ask my family, I play way too much. They're like, Dad, stop playing this song. Uh, my five-year-old's starting to sing it, which is awesome. You have discovered yourself to be located in Christ. What seemed so distant is now so near. It's in him that at peace with everyone He made division disappear But now Wow But now Wow But now Wow But now Wow Everything's changed. Everything's changed. 
Isn't that a good one? Okay. Well, I just want to pray a blessing, so just, just be in receive mode. We will, if the prayer team could come up here before I pray. If you need prayer today, if you're looking, I believe maybe even the prayer team, myself, the Lord's going to give prophetic words, words of destiny, words of encouragement today. You're just like, man, I need direction. Um, I just believe the prayer team, God's prepped. They're going to have words from the Lord for you today. They're going to have fresh words from heaven, from the heart of Jesus. So I, I just tell you, don't hesitate. If God's like, man, I really need prayer. He's put it on your heart to come up and ask for prayer. Don't be ashamed. Just come up. Jesus loves when we're needy. He says the poor in spirit shall receive the kingdom of heaven. Need does not freak God out. He loves it because he created us with needs. So I just want to pray. Father, I just thank you. I just thank you for your love this morning. I thank you for your goodness. And I thank you for Jesus, the glorious one. I thank you, Jesus, that even when we put on these false self and these masks and these things that are not us, you and your love relentlessly pursue us. You and your love relentlessly say, my son, my daughter, let me remind you of who you are. (laughs) Remember who you are. Remember who you are. And I thank you, Jesus, that you are bent on everyone's freedom here. You are resolved that everyone here would be free. And so, Father, I just thank you right now as you're touching hearts. I thank you that your will, your will, I know what your will is. You say that you want to fill the earth with the knowledge of your glory. You want to fill the earth with the knowledge of your glory, even as the waters cover the sea, even as the waters cover the sea. So God, I just thank you throughout this room. I just thank you for your fountain exploding today. I just thank you the fountain of your life, the spring of your life, just bubbling up even right now out of people, just uncontainable, uncontrollable throughout the room. I thank you that it's starting now, but it's going to bubble up into lunch and it's going to bubble up this afternoon. It's going to bubble up with time with the family and with neighbors and with all and at work tomorrow. God, I thank you for rivers of living water bubbling out of people's bellies right now in Jesus' name. I thank you for springs and torrents of life and love and blessing that cannot be contained, that cannot be hoarded, that, that, that must be shared with all that they come in context. So God, I thank you. I thank you. Even as we have the rain outside, I thank you for flooding our lives with your glory, flooding our lives with your goodness, Jesus, flooding our lives with your love. So Jesus, we give you all the glory and we're thankful that even as as we leave from here that you're always with us.